0: guys welcome back to the well said podcast where we are talking about following jesus in a crazy confusing
1: post-christian culture like ours and i'm here with my buddy sam how's it going man it's going great andre it's a beautiful day outside i'm alive and well and what more can i ask for
0: yeah yeah definitely um the fun part about this whole podcast i feel like is the story of this podcast is a story of constantly evolving recording locations
1: yeah that's pretty much where it is. If you <laughs> we, put like a timeline of events up on the wall, you'd have um, an archaeological record of our location. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We have recorded in like five different places. We're always moving around trying <laughs> to find a better fit. So today we come to you guys from a brand new place. And it feels semi-permanent. Semi-permanent. We're going to hope this works. Yeah. yeah. We are at home at my house in my office. Uh, we were able to get a couple new mics so we're setting up a more permanent location, but that also means you may hear some kids, the occasional kid in the background, and that's that's part of the that's part of the atmosphere that we're shooting right. for, you know. Screaming
1: and, children.
0: Yeah, maybe not background. screaming, but running around talking, um, doing life together, you know. Right. How are you liking
1: the chair, Sam? Uh, the chair. It's comfortable. I. Don't know. I think that's tomato soup on it or something. That's a little spot. Don't complain too much. It's
0: very small.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So what are we talking about today? Well, we thought it would be a good idea to be talking about um, the benefits of learning to fail, especially in our college mental health epidemic that our culture is experiencing today. So we read this interesting article. Um, Tell us about that, Andre. Yeah. So
0: it's actually not an article. It was a episode... On right, NPR was, show called Fresh Air. And um, this uh, interviewer lady, Terry Gross, she's a pretty famous interviewer. I don't know if you, any of you listen to Fresh Air. But basically, she had these two psychologists on for an interview. And they were talking about how one of them had a son who went to college and who had a major um, mental health crisis in college. And how she was trying to help him through it. And basically, they spent some time also talking about this, this, this issue that we have today of yeah. like this mental health crisis among young adults, especially. Yeah,
1: like the, the college anxiety crisis, I think is maybe a good name for yeah. it, but how it, it's on the rise, and we've seen more and more kids going off to college um, just experiencing an inability to function due right. to depression, mental health problems, anxiety, um, and I mean, what should we be doing about that really is the question. And where is it coming from? It's crazy. Yeah. Like, they,
0: they cited some stunning statistics, uh, one of which is that 25% of all college students entering school are on a prescriptive... Yeah.
1: prescriptive before they even get to college.
0: Yeah. On prescriptive psychoactive medications. 25%. That's insane. That's yeah. That's a huge percentage of our young generation... Uh, not only struggling with anxiety or depression,
1: but on medications for it. So and and that I couldn't really find good numbers on how many actually come out of college and are using psychoactive right. drugs, or how many end up using um, those drugs while in college. Uh-huh. But I'm assuming that if it's twenty five percent going in, it, it usually only gets worse. Those numbers go up, but right. regardless of how you look at it, it's becoming a huge issue. And I mean. Why is that happening? That's the question.
0: Yeah. So the answer has layers. And we can kind of tease apart some of the layers. Um, But I think... um, So let's do that. Let's talk about some of the layers. And then what we're going to do is we want to dive into one of the fundamental ones, which is the fact that we are crippled by a fear of failure.
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, But before diving into that... So it's, it's really difficult to overestimate the gravity of this problem. So we need to fully understand the the huge uh, problem that we see around us in the culture. Like this is not a little thing. you can't no. overlook this. Um,
1: and and it's th- somewhat unique to our generation. I mean, not that obviously people before didn't struggle with anxiety or depression but we I haven't don't seen these numbers was, yeah, before. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And the insane part was that in this interview, the, these two specialists, these two psychologists, didn't seem to have much of an explanation for why this is happening. They just have all these techniques for dealing with it. But yeah. I was just stunned how quickly they brushed through the question, why is this happening? Um, we live in an evolving culture. And I think Christians, uh, we're guilty of oversimplifying it sometimes. We're like, oh, this is because they don't believe in God. Our culture is right. denying God. So look at this. This is what's happening. But... Yeah, you were mentioning earlier, a lot of this happens in Christian families that you see. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one aspect of it is technology. Um, technology and social media is giving us a, 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 skewed perspective of what success looks like and what the story of our life is supposed to look like. It's brainwashing right. you into a different view of life. Um,
1: yeah, no, that's that's definitely a part of it. But but one of the things I think you have to sort of preface this whole issue with is that um, I, the older generation tends to look at the youth of today and just think, well, well, they're just weak. They just don't know how to deal with this. You know, college was hard in my day, too.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, I mean, I don't think that's really a fair response because we're seeing that this is an issue across cultural lines. You know, it happens in Christian homes. It happens in secular homes. It happens... Um, and people of, of different races, different religions, different socioeconomic backgrounds. This isn't, like, unique to one social group. Right. So we have to ask ourselves, why are young people as a whole becoming more anxious, more depressed? And, and yeah, I think it has a lot to do with those um, those social structures that have been set up. They're so different from the ones that our parents had. Right. The Internet constantly being connected, 24-7 news um, there's a lot that goes into it, and one of the answers that they had on that interview, um, they didn't spend a lot of time on it, but kids who grew up, I guess, post nine eleven, as they called it, um, have been exposed to more trauma,
0: mm.
1: like school shootings. Again, that twenty four seven news cycle, um, they just know a lot more about what's going on, and live in the fear that that and, might happen. And that's happen part then. of like
0: the media. Uh, constantly hyper informed right. world we live in, right?
1: And also blowing things out of proportion,
0: um, y- right? Y- Something happens on that side of the globe, and you're seeing the full colors of it on your smartphone, um, and you you don't you don't have that same sense of distance. Everything seems so close. The world seems so small, and all the tragedies seem to be happening in your backyard, right? Right? And I think that one one. Um, Tim Keller writes in his book, Making Sense of God, which is an amazing book, uh, probably one of the best books that help unpack how we can help people in a modern culture understand the, the rationality, the importance, the um, the fact that believing in God makes sense in today's world. But he says we live in the first, we may be the first generation that actually believes we are worse off than our parents. Hmm. So this this story of... Um, so previously, our culture has always been telling this story of like success, like this evolutionary, like we are progressing. History is getting better, We're getting better, we're getting smarter, right? And we're actually the first generation that, and I, and I was testing myself last week, like driving, like, you know, when I look at the news, what do I believe about the future? when, when I think about my children, and I had to confront my own like my own negativity, and I'm like, yeah. man, how can the future be good? Yeah. Um, like zombie apocalypse TV shows seem to be more realistic to our,
1: to our, uh, yeah, it's like this whole post-apocalyptic genre yeah, of yeah. entertainment.
0: We're, what this is one reason why it's so popular. This apocalyptic mm. genre is because it taps into how we feel.
1: Yeah. We, we don't feel like people. Yeah. Really like does.
0: you hear global warming, you hear like, uh, diseases, incurable diseases and like, uh, staph infections that we don't, that vancomycin doesn't kill. And like the world is getting too crowded and all these like these things that we're constantly hearing on the news and, and you have to ask yourself, oh my goodness, how can the world possibly be getting better?
1: Hmm. Like
0: how can the future possibly be good? Right. As a Christian, I had to, I have to confront my bias on that and be like, no, I'm being, I'm being brainwashed by a culture that has a specific narrative, you know, and I need to look at this from, from a Christian lens. But I think another aspect of this also is this culture of, of, be whatever, be, be your truest you. Like this culture of uh, radical individualism um, says that you build the life that you want. Right. And so success means building the life that you want. Well, the problem with that is a lot of us don't know what we want. And so this idea of I'm going to be the best me it's actually, instead of be- becoming freeing, it's crushing our generation because our generation is caught up trying to figure out who we are instead of just progressing and living. You know what I'm saying? So college, right. I think, is another moment when you're becoming an adult and you're like, well, who am I? What, what's my calling? What's my, what are my desires? You know, and like, especially in a, like, you know, don't, don't give in to the nine to five. Follow your dreams and do your dream career. Be an artist. You know, like um there's this call while well, at like, the same time just being crushed by you know this massive load student of school debt work and student And you're debt. broke yeah. and you can't pay for gas. <laughs> so like it's this story that our culture tells that you need to be the best you that you can be, and don't let anybody tell you what that is. It's actually crushing our expectations of again coming back to this question of success. So there's a fear of failure. And a pressure for success. Yeah. Like that's pushing down on us today.
1: And I think a lot of that is from our very linear interpretation of what success is. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and because of that linear interpretation, what I mean by linear interpretation is that we, we think that our education determines what kind of career you have. And your career determines whether or not you're going to make a lot of money. And then how much money you make determines where you're going to be on the social ladder and whether or not people will love you. Right. Right. And that is a huge motivating force. And it's terrifying because if everything is dependent on that exam score you get, um, then I can see why you would approach life or college life as if, you know, that's the end of the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like your your sense of self worth is determined by your resume. Yeah. And like we really feel I I mean I'm I'm getting to the end of my twenties and I really feel that pressure lots Mm -hmm. of times. Like I look at people that I went to school with and I'm like, well, how many things have I accomplished compared to them? Right. And like, you have this, like this legalistic self-justifying, you know, selfish, like inclination like, Oh, Oh, uh, how many things can I tack on Mm -hmm. to my resume to feel worthy or something? You know what I'm saying? And
1: and what that is, is we don't teach students to be people anymore. Mm -hmm. We teach them to be workers. Mm-hmm. That's what the education system is basically designed to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you're from a healthy household, a healthy background, you will have grown up with parents who have taught you how to be healthy, holistic people and to look at the world through a bigger lens, not just, you know, how can I get an education and produce wealth? Right. There's so much more to it than that. Right, right. Success. And a lot, of, a lot of people just don't grow up in that environment because of broken homes, right. um, dysfunction, whatever it may be.
0: Yeah, I was actually going to hit on that right now. I think that's the other that's yeah. the other piece though, because when you're thinking about success, I want to be successful, that if I'm successful, I'll be satisfied. You're also you're also bouncing off of your fear of failure which you have perhaps witnessed. So, our generation is a generation of broken households. It's like mm-hmm. it's like the divorce generation. Um again, I'm so thankful to be raised in a Strong Christian right. two parent household. Like, I'm so thankful for that. But I understand that I'm almost a minority. We're, we're a minority in a culture of like total predominant divorce. But because our generation, in many ways, has been through the wreckage of that uh, emotional, you know, destruction, uh, there's a fear. Like, I saw what failure looked like in my family. And I don't want to repeat it, so I'm scared of repeating yeah. that, right? So the big presupposition here, though, is a very simple human uh, assumption that the good life is accomplished through winning. The good the good life is accomplished through me winning the challenges that face that that I face, and that I need to be successful, and that I, in my little human brain, see the path
1: of um success yeah the reality is that you're just you know you being you and being the best version of you is just paddling out to sea as fast as you possibly can and then finding yourself surrounded by nothingness right and yeah you're strong but you're nowhere yeah you're in the middle of nothing without without god without faith without a family around you without some way to contextualize success and its meaning you're just pursuing
0: emptiness. Right. So, this is what we forget oftentimes in this struggle. As we're moving into asking the question, how do we look at this as Christians? Um, here's a question that we forget to ask Am I sure that I have the correct vision of success? Do you ever question your narrative of success? And most of us don't. What is the good life? What is the good life? Let's pause and ask that question. You know, and learn to ask that question habitually. What is the good life? Wasn't what, that Plato's question? What is, um, yeah, perhaps. It's the yeah. ancient question, right? Um, we are all that, I mean, this is the drive of the human heart. We are all like like James K.A. Smith in a book called You Are What You Love, which is a really good book. You should check it out. Um, he says, we're like existential sharks hmm. that are always sniffing the scent of the promise of a good life. And like our compass is like oriented toward a, some story of the good life. And that is that is where we're, we're going. But lots of times we fail to ask, wait a minute, what is my, cus, uh, my compass tuned to? What is the good life? What is the picture of the good life that I'm trying to get to, right? Yeah. Um, so when we talk about pursuing the good life and the fear of failure that is crippling our generation, How does the gospel of Jesus Christ transform this struggle? How does it challenge these assumptions? How does it change how we view these questions?
1: Yeah, I think that comes from just recognizing that in our weakness, he's stronger. That we have to fail to be complete, whole human beings and spiritual beings. To understand our place in the world, we have to become weaker. And... um, what do you mean by that? We have to fail
0: to understand our place in the world. What do you mean
1: by that? So people who have, people who've never failed or who think they've never failed, first of all, are wrong. But if if you've never failed, then you don't have any need for redemption. Right. If you if you're perfect, right, then then why do you need a savior? Why do you need God? Right. And the reality is that no one's perfect. We're always failing. Um, the people who are, you know, highly successful in their careers or whatever it may be, could have an absolute. Train wreck of a family life. Right. um, Because they've neglected um, those duties. And that is a form of failure. We all fail and we all need Christ. We all have to experience failure in order to understand redemption and to experience redemption. Right. The gateway into paradise through Christ is the
0: gateway of embracing the reality that I am a total failure. Yeah. I have sinned against a holy God, yeah. and there is nothing I can do to remedy that.
1: And failure begets humility, or yeah. at least it should. Right. So, so the response, of course, is some people fail and they go into depression and anxiety and they withdraw and they, um, you know, try to solve things on their own. But the correct response, of course, is humility. Right. Is experiencing God's goodness, um, experiencing the community of people around you, your church, your family, your friends, and humbling yourself and asking for help. Right, right. The gospel like pushes
0: us into the corner of of knowing and admitting um, that we are fundamentally in need. And not only in need, but we are fundamentally flawed, and we will continue to make mistakes if not for the grace of God. And even with the grace of God working failure is a daily reality because we know we are inadequate apart from his grace and that sin is still um, creeping around the corner. It's still sinful habits, sinful assumptions, rebellious idea ideas and self uh, self perceptions are still harbored in our heart even after we right. belong
1: to Christ. So was the Martin Luther quote like every time I, I think that I've killed the old man, he comes back and you remember that one? Something like that. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, that sounds familiar. And only, or every time I think I've drowned the the old man in me, um, I only discover that he can swim or something. And and there it is again. There's my sinful nature coming back again to haunt me. So it's this constant process of failing, of dying to self, and experiencing God's righteousness because your own simply isn't enough. Right.
0: Life in a broken, fallen world, post-Genesis 3, means inevitably that we as human beings have failure on all of our resumes. And the thing is, though, when you understand Jesus and his payment for you on the cross, that, that word failure is not supposed to uh, cause us to recoil in fear. Actually, that's supposed to be our reminder of freedom, of how we got freedom. Because even the word failure on your resume has no power to condemn you because you understand that your success is riding on the fact that Jesus has paid for your debt and that you are ultimately brought into his kingdom by his success, not by your own success. Does that make sense? So Christ's accomplishment is what is what uh, places us onto the train track of the good life. So if it is Jesus who has placed us on the train track of the good life, It is not me who can take me off that train track and my daily accomplishments, my career, my aspirations, my goals, my perfection, my test grades, my marriage status or um, professional
1: accomplishments. So, So how does this change our picture of the good life then? Well, I think it comes from understanding that the good life is not a linear process the way that we've been taught that it is um, it's, it's a very roundabout process.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, if you look at your life and you look back or or any of us who have gone through difficulty of, you know, pursuing a career and then going a different way and then weaving around and, and finding your way into something, that's not a linear process, right? It's not like I went to school, I did this, I got these grades, um, graduated, did this, and wow, I'm in my career and things are great. That's yeah. that's not most people, yeah. and it's not the Christian story either.
0: It's what Instagram wants to tell it's, you.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's what um, you know your career counselor or the movies want to tell you is that right. you can just um, do it on your own, and right. that's that's not how it is, and that's not the gospel message either. The gospel message is one of constantly failing constantly needing grace, constantly needing redemption, and, and going back and humbling yourself.
0: And it's fundamentally a story of you learning to walk with God. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you look at, um, you know, take Abraham and his story, you know, and, 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 and run it up against the modern metric of success and ask yourself, was Abraham successful you know, it's like, well, yeah, he was successful. He had a lot of like riches and stuff. But, like, yeah. was he successful as a person? A lot of his story is wandering, compromising, yeah. failing, going back and forth. And so, Abraham's story, uh, all the ups and downs and back and forth, hmm. it, it's essentially the story of him coming to grips with the fact that his life is in the power of God and that he Hmm. needs to learn to walk with God. He needs to learn to have faith in God's promises, in the reality of God's presence, in the reality of God's purpose and his plan, and that God delivers. Yeah.
1: You know what I'm saying? Through the good and the bad.
0: Right. But that story of success is a, like you were saying, it's a roundabout, long way journey of learning to discover that through the struggles of life. Hmm. So, I mean, counter to our modern story... You know, the Christian life, the good life, is in many ways kind of mystical. I mean, you, yeah. you have to understand that your life is guided by God, and, and God has a purpose for you. You're, the way you answer the good life question is not, how, what is my path to success? Yeah. How can I get a degree and get money? No, the question is, how do I learn to cultivate a communion with God, a daily life of walking with God, such that... I I know his purposes for me here today and I'm doing those things. Yeah.
1: And understanding that takes a lot of the burden off. You know, if you're a it student does. who's struggling with exams or, you know, just worried about what the next step is going to be, are the recruiters for this big company going to gonna see my grades and think they're enough or right. whatever it may be, you know, that's a lot to to bear on your shoulders. Yeah. And understanding that that's a roundabout process and not this direct linear relationship can take a lot of that burden off
0: right right because you understand that again your success and your story is riding on the train tracks of God's providential story of redemption in your life and 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 your test grade or your career flunk or whatever does not change that yeah. you know what I'm saying like God is working he is running the universe and he is running your life the question is are you trying to run against like he like when God, you know, knocks Paul, Saul, uh, off his horse in Acts into the dirt, and he's like, "Who are you, Lord?" And he's like, "I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "It is hard for you to kick against the goads." And, and th- that phrase, it's like, yeah, um, it's it's that farm animal that keeps kicking against the, the, the tool that's making him move forward. Like the, the providential right. reality of God is guiding your life. And if you're trying to kick and, and scream and establish your own story, you're going to have a hard time. Mm-hmm. But if you understand that Christ has secured your, your presence in the kingdom of God, and that kingdom is working in your life, you, you learn to walk with God and ride the waves as they come and go. And I think here's the other thing about this. Oftentimes, if you look at the biblical story, oftentimes this journey is going to take you into places that look like dead ends. It's going to look like failure. Um, God brings redemption through situations that look like defeat. Jesus on the cross, that looked like a total dead end to everybody present. Right. Everybody was like, what just happened?
1: Yeah, I think we kind of miss the profundity of that sometimes because it's just become... Uh, you know, a story we know as Christians. It's like, yeah, right? he
0: died for our sins. No, in that moment, yeah, that, they were that like, wait, like, wait, we were getting failure. ready to crown him king. What just happened? Like God, what, what, where are you looking, right? Did you take a break? What happened, right? <laughs> so, uh, we're gonna, following God, uh, you know, look at Abraham, look at the prophets, look at Moses. Following God means following him into the desert oftentimes. and, but that's the very point because it is in those moments of struggle, when you fail, when you don't know what the future holds, when you're doubting yourself, those are the moments you are at coming back and asking yourself, why am I doing this again? I'm doing this again because I believe that God is in charge, not because I am. I be- I trust him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That like you're never going to reach that point of desperate and total trust unless you come to the end of yourself. And that's going to include failure. It's built into the system.
1: So don't be afraid of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and part of that is this, um, like, so going back to how that relates to the practical aspect of, you know, dealing with anxiety or whatever, you know, when we look at Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, that is the ultimate expression of humility. Right. And as believers, we have to also humble ourselves and be willing to admit when we need grace, when we need help. Right. When we need uh, salvation, the support of of Christ and of other people as well around us. And, you know, part, part of the problem... So if you're somebody who's struggling with mental health or anxiety or depression or, you know, you're a student or you're in the throes of your career and things are tough... Um, you have to have a social support system around you of God fearing people who will direct you in the right direction Uh and be willing to talk to them and say, Hey, I need, I I'm struggling right now. And one of the interesting things they talked about in that interview is that, um, like a only a quarter of the students who have had suicidal ideations seek help. The only, the other three quarters just say, it's not that bad or it'll go away or, You know, I don't have time. I have this exam coming up. You know, mental health isn't due tomorrow. Yeah. This assignment is. And that's
0: part of the culture of pushing for success. So it's like, it's all good. I I don't need help. But the gospel says, no, no, no. You need help always. You need God's grace and you need to use the means of grace that God has surrounded you with in your life. You know what I'm saying? You become a strong person when you are living as a weak person. Mm Mm-hmm. When you are drinking from the fountains of grace that He has surrounded you with, so for somebody struggling and for all of us, what are those fountains of grace? What are those sources of support that we need to learn that we're making sure we're we're tapping into?
1: Yeah, I mean, for one, it's it's God's word and God's truth, and constantly drinking of that truth. Um, but also, it's the God has designed, you know, these these social constants around us. And one of the biggest ones is having a community to support you. Right. Uh, A community that's not going to um, just tell you, you know, you need to work harder. You just need to get over this. You just need to take this, this Ativan pill and deal with your anxiety and go and go and take this exam. And, um, and then your problems will go away on their own. Right. You need people who will counsel you, who will be there for you, who will say, what can I do to help you? Can I can I make you a meal? Can I have you over and we can just talk? Um, Christian community, gospel-driven community, community is
0: just a huge source. And here's a problem, I think, with our early 20s. In our early 20s, we are and I, I, and myself, I see this, and I, I saw this. Um, I didn't see it when I was there, but now that I look back, in your early 20s, you are most likely to undervalue the power of long-term hmm. Christian relationships. It's the time when you're like, I need something fun. I need to have a yeah, good time. I just need to grind. I need and to have a lot of friends done. and work hard and have some good times. You know what? One of the things that you realize is life, the beauty of life comes in seasons. And the the richness is in relationships that endure through those seasons. Don't just look for friends who you're gonna have a good time this weekend. Look for friends and invest into friendships, spiritual friendships that you know are going to last through decades. That's where you're going to get your power, where you can grow and share and struggle and pray and learn from people who are a little ahead of you on the journey. Um, In our early 20s, we are most likely to miss that priority and to jump for the yeah. stuff that... Because it's,
1: it's the time in which we're so strong and we have these ideas about the world and we're just ready to go out there and conquer things yeah. perceptively by ourselves. You know, that's what we think. Right. And we don't realize how much we need other people and how much we need community at that point in our lives. Right, right. So it's this whole narrative
0: of the gospel is totally subversive to the culture around us that in your deepest life of weakness, you, are, you become a, pers- a person who is very strong. You become a strong rooted person in grace because you live a life of weakness. Every day I need the Holy Spirit to work in my heart. Every day I need to Christ yeah. to speak to me through his word. Every day I need to be in prayer. Every day I need uh prayers and encouragement from other Christians. Yeah. I need this stuff. I'm not I'm not invincible. Yeah. I'm a sinner. I'm frail.
1: Right. And the lie that culture tells us is that you want to be a strong independent person. Yeah. That's that's a lie. You want to be a strong rooted person. Yeah. Not a strong independent person. Yeah. And A rooted person will always be stronger than an independent one.
0: Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, um, you know, this whole, the gospel narrative is what, it it gives us hope. Uh, Like we said, that God will likely take your life into places that feel like dark forest. You know, read the Psalms. Lord, where are you? You know, like, why have you abandoned me? Come through. Save me, God. So there's a lot of struggle there that you expect that. It's going to be hard. God takes you through places that are going to test your faith. But the story of Jesus and his final victory and his final victory at the end of all time instills in us a deep sense of hope um, that pulls us through the tough times. And, you know, depression is rooted in hopelessness. Th- that's why people sink into a deep depression now there's different reasons why you, sometimes it's your chemistry sometimes you're just burned out sometimes so I'm not I'm not oversimplifying the problem of depression here but most depression overall the common denominator is is a hopelessness it's like I, I don't see a light I don't see a light f- in front of me you know and that's the ironic thing in our generation we are cure we are trying to cure hopelessness by um By treating the symptoms of feeling down, Hmm. by treating the symptoms of not liking darkness.
1: Yeah. And that's why antidepressants usually don't work long term.
0: Yeah. They help with symptoms and that's not a bad thing. But the end goal is to, it's a simple question. Why are you sad?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Why are you afraid? It all comes back to what you, who am I? What is the world? And what's the future hold?
1: You know, these are very simple questions. Can I make sense of my world with the worldview that I have. Yeah. That's the question. And if the answer is no, you should really explore that because that right there is the key to, to everything.
0: Yeah. And when you are in Christ, you are not afraid to fail. You are not afraid of risk. You are not afraid to pray hard and to listen to God and his calling for you and to take risks. Because you're confident that this is where he's calling you. You know, your your life, a Christian life is going to look countercultural and it's not going to be countercultural in the sense that, oh, we're going to go out there and protest the liberals. No, no, no. It's going to look countercultural in the way that we deny the modern narrative of success. It means maybe learning to give away what you have, give away your time, your life for others in a way that doesn't make sense to the world. You know what I'm saying? Um, You are not crippled by a fear of what if this doesn't work out because you know i've had numerous times in ministry situations where i'm like well what are people going to think what if this isn't going to work is this going to be another one of my failures and then it's like well you know what does that matter are you sure that this is where god has you yeah i'm sure okay then keep going it doesn't matter what people think it the question is are you are you are you walking in in christ are you walking in the spirit and Um, is this where he's guiding you? Before we close out, I wanted to answer a quick question that came in on Instagram about this subject. So the person asked, how do we deal with failure in our spiritual walk, in our following, uh, process of following Christ without, uh, doubting our spiritual condition, without doubting our salvation and our commitment to Christ? I think it's a really good question. Uh, lots of times our struggles are a source of doubt, um, regarding our faith and our commitment to Christ Satan likes to use that to accuse us to make us feel guilty and make us feel like we're not part of Christ's family. And I think the first question first part of that question is realizing that failure is part of our spiritual walk. The question when we fail spiritually when we sin and we stumble and we fall back into temptations that is not a symptom of the fact that we are not saved. That we are not, that we don't belong to Jesus, that's actually a part of living in this, in in the world in a broken world. Um, the difference is how you respond to failure. Um, the Christian response is very simple. It is repentance and faith. It's hatred of your sin and a desire to follow Christ more effectively. So if you're in that process and and we're responding in in repentance and faith, um, that is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus every single day. Failing, struggling, and getting back up and following Him. Uh, doubt comes when we start to base our sense of spiritual belonging to Christ on how we feel, our emotional state. But the reality of the New Testament is that it shows that belonging to Christ is not an emotional state. It's a, it's, it's a condition of the soul, of the heart, of the will. Uh, the way that we check ourselves if we are truly saved, Paul, Paul asks the Corinthians, you know, examine yourselves, whether you're in the faith or not. Um, he's calling them to reflect on the fact that are they still in the faith? Are they still committed with their heart, mind, and soul to the message of the gospel? So, you know, when we doubt, um, the question is not, how do I feel? Am I, do I feel savable or saved or, or worthy of God's love? Uh, but do I follow Jesus still? Do I hate my sin and do I desire to be free of it? Um, and that's the mindset of the Christian that our sense of spiritual identity is not rooted in how we feel or what we've done, but in the story of Jesus. So am I still saved? Am I, do I still belong to Christ? The way I answer that question is not based on what I've done and how I feel. It's based on who Christ is and my relationship to him. Do I follow him? Do I still commit my life to him? Am I still tied to him as the foundation of my life? And uh, that's what gives us hope. That's what gives us endurance, despite the fact that we fall. That's what Proverbs says, the, the righteous person falls seven times and gets back up. So, the, which is ironic, you know, the righteous person is the one who falls and gets back up, not the one who never falls. Amen. Amen to that. So, before we close up, we want to remind you guys to please register for the True North Conference, happening August 2 through 3 here in Bellingham, Washington. Go to truenorthconference.org. Or is it.com? Shoot, I don't know. Let me check for you real quick. Um, truenorthconference.com truenorthconference.com And uh, also, there's going to be a bonus event. We're, we're having Citizens, a band from Seattle, come and do a concert that Saturday, August 3rd. So we're, tickets for that are sold separately. Keep an eye out for that. That's going to be an awesome weekend. Yeah, evening
1: of August 3rd.
0: Yeah, we want to see you guys all here. It's going to be a super fun weekend. Um. please share uh, this episode with somebody who you think needs a little hope maybe Uh needs encouragement at some point. yes Yeah. share this episode with a failure <laughs> <laughs> um, and Brutal. feel free to uh, contact us guys through Instagram Facebook Twitter wherever oh. you do your social media thing we always want to hear your feedback if you have a moment please do leave us a review on iTunes that also helps us Uh, spread the word on the show and keep it going a good review a good review that's right five stars um and thank you so much for being with us for another episode